Hiya, I'm Lucy. I'm Jake. Hi, I'm Mia. I'm Dan. And I'm Gabe. And we are Marling Perspective. So today we're going to be talking about the methods used to enhance democracy in the UK. So what does everyone think about lowering the voting age to 16-year-olds? In my opinion, I think there are several advantages that can come out of lowering the voting age to 16, as I think with voting it's more to do with a voter's competence on the subject, less to do with age, as we know. There are multiple 16-year-olds that are very competent with the political schemes going on at our time, but there are also multiple adults who have no idea what's going on. So we could look more towards education on young ages and try and make the most out of the competence that we have in the young ages. I think that young people can have a lot of access to social media. There's a lot of access to political ideas on social media nowadays with online news uh young people can get married they can they can join the army but they can't some of them can't vote on some of the very important issues that affect them and their future i think something that might need to be looked at is a system that's similar to scotland where for things like local elections and referendums people who are 16 get the vote but for stuff like general elections they don't wouldn't you worry that that a 16-year-old could be heavily influenced by perhaps their parents' opinion on voting. Well, I think that's also part of the reason why it hasn't become a thing. But when it's something to do with a referendum, it's kind of a yes-no decision rather than a specific party that you're voting for or something like that. And I'd say, obviously, a big question about giving them 16-year-olds the vote is to do with maturity. And, I mean, it's a good argument to make that there aren't, enough 16 year olds that are mature enough to make a good decision so and many would argue that even those that are mature enough are too radical some of the ideas of teenagers aren't as sensible and rational as those but then of an adult maybe that's just a representation of what the future generations thoughts and wants are i think future generations are heavily influenced by their parents <laughs> anyway and voting behavior relies on like social classes and how they've been brought up whether they're 16 or whether they're 18 they're still going to be heavily influenced by their parents and how what what's going to affect them i mean if they're living with their families a lot of the issues are going to affect their families in the same ways as it's going to affect them and but few do you pay tax few are as involved in society as the um old generation are mm-hmm. and so what do you think about our voting systems at the moment? We use first past the post in the UK. I think it's quite closed off because it creates a two-party system, mm-hmm, yeah. which isn't really well. It is democracy, but well, it doesn't. Not very it, it's not very democratic because it, people find themselves tactically voting mm-hmm. for the people that they don't want to get in power rather than what they believe in. So it just closes off quite a lot of democratic scenarios Mm -hmm. i think many would argue though that those two parties represent the biggest divide in society at the time and all it is is a compromise with proportional systems you have all these different views and none of them can ever get a majority in parliament it creates a strong opposition it creates a strong government that actually gets legislation through with first past post it is a choice of two 
but you're going to need that compromise to actually get any anything to happen, anything get done in government. The problem I have with it is that it creates quite a toxic environment, especially the younger people voting, in that the Labour voters in Stroud, they're asking the Greens and the Liberals to step down. Mm. It, I, th- I just think that in places where there's quite a strong support for one party, it can make people, I don't know, nervous, scared to vote for who they actually want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I think particularly as well in the, the case of Stroud, like driving past the Ecotricity building earlier, there was a sign saying, vote, if you're voting for climate change, vote Labour. And there's a strong sense almost of um, abandonment here because you've got two parties that care deeply about stuff that a lot of the electorate cares quite strongly about. And the likelihood is we're going to get a Conservative MP who's going to undermine all of that. And I just find it bit, I'm just quite annoyed that we're, that our system doesn't enable people to actually vote for I think a lot that happens when it comes to stuff like this is it's like a common goal which is basically to for, for Stroud in particular, is to not get the Tories in power. And that's like, I mean, Lib Dems have done it with the Green Party by coming together because they know that Green Party have a better chance of winning in Stroud. But you could argue, which is quite fair, that it's undemocratic to do something mm. like that because it takes away another option of so do you politics think that people can vote for. If you th- do you think if um, our voting system wasn't first past the post, if it was proportional representation or something similar, do you think we'd have the same problem? I think a big problem with proportional representation is the fact that it's very hard to get a majority. Uh-huh. And so it would be very hard for things to happen or policies to get made if a government is so divided by many different parties yeah. and leaders in government all arguing against each other and I don't think anything would get decided. Okay. I think if we had proportional representation, only the numbers would change. I don't think our eventual government or anything that gets decided would change at all. Um, Wouldn't you worry if we started to use proportional representation as a voting system that it it would make way for kind of more, much more extremist parties to get into government? Well, this is my point in that only the numbers would change. You'd get a small increase or decrease in minor parties. The Conservatives and Labour would still get the majority of the votes. Do you think? Yeah. But, but even, surely... Even how wrong those radical parties may be, like the BNP, it's not the sign of a representative democracy that we should shout them down. We should... We should and, and also, get... lots of voters that do vote for... Labour and Conservatives, a lot of them vote for them because they know that it is currently a two-party system and that the others aren't going to get in. So if we had proportional representation... I've seen the European elections where the Brexit party did very well, but when you take tactical voting out of it, put tactical voting back in, it becomes a two-party system again, showing that the country wouldn't tactical vote. The country do believes in these minority parties but feels they're restrained by our current electoral system. But... At the end of the day, Conservatives and Labour are still the larger parties. They're still going to be tactical voting no matter what system you use because it's either, let's be honest, it's either going to be one of those two that get into power. It will still enhance our democracy as 
more people are going to get a say and people are going to do less tactical I was gonna say, thing more, and they're going to more, be- more vote people for what are- they believe in. Mm-hmm. And even if it isn't going to be more abrupt with legislation, it's still going to create just a fairer democracy for us all to get our opinions heard. I think also um, proportional representation, it will enhance our democracy because, you know, although encouraging two-party politics is advantageous, we do, I think, live in a multi-party, a multi-party culture and that third parties, with, like we've said about UKIP, that do have significant support can be greatly disadvantaged and there's an argument to be made that, you know, extremism should be kept at bay but it should be acknowledged that a significant uh, section of the country does feel a certain way they should be represented. I think a big thing that should be should happen if is is if extremist parties if extremist parties are so large, then what's wrong with the country that's meant extremist parties have grown in popularity? Mm. You should be educating people so that they can make an insightful decision rather than see things like in Germany where in in the nineteen in the nineteen thirties and forties, where bad things that happen in the economy and the country cause extremist people to get into power, and it's things like that that you should be questioning mm. more. What's going on in our country rather than our electoral system and things like that? Those extremist parties are represented by the electorate, but simply marginalising them systematically will keep them to grow. Will keep those people feeling like they're marginalised by our system. And in a liberal democracy, we should fight against opinions we believe are wrong with our words rather than keeping them at bay by our legal system. Not just that, but just human competence has evolved over time and the extremists aren't going to have so much leniency with it just in politics in general. They're not going to be able to take advantage like the Nazis did. But... With a multi-party system, you can't just think about what the vote will be, like how they get to power. You've got to think about what happens if they do. What happens if a radical party gets to power? Because we haven't had a government that wasn't conservative or labor in half a century. And that was a liberal party. That was in the middle. So what happens if we get either side of the spectrum? We have no idea because we haven't had an extremist party run England. And we know how radical England is as a country and how extremism actually does appeal to so many. Um, okay. So, talking about democracy, what are your thoughts on comparing direct democracies to representative democracies? I mean, in the UK, we have a representative democracy. Um, how do you think, how well does that work here? Well, we have a representative democracy, but a lot of egos come in and don't represent their constituents. They simply represent their own selfish and their own their own gain. Whereas a representative democracy, the people that represent these areas are meant to reflect the views of those people in parliament. With direct democracy, there's a big point to be made that even though people would say that it's a purer form of democracy, the turnouts tend to be so low and turnouts are a big like standing point in deciding how democratic certain things are and when they're as low as like 40 percent you can't really call that democratic because it's not the belief of the country the thing that everyone the main disadvantage everyone says comes with um, representative democracy is egos and not representing your constituency just representing yourself but how often does that actually happen? I think because very frequently. Happens very frequently. 
as seen, as, seen, as, as seen by the whole Brexit crisis, uh, we have a country with 52% of the country wants to leave the European Union, but the political class mm. won't represent that in Parliament and won't allow, allow it to come through. And as we see, we see a clear split between those people representing us in Parliament and the people in our country. I think it's very rare to now find an MP that um, is working for their constituency compared to working for themselves and their own occupational kind of ladder. Well, let's upwards. look at Stroud. Yeah, well... David Drew. I've n- I'd say... The man, the man loves Stroud. Exactly. And then you like compare, him, compare him to Siobhan Bailey, who lives in Oxford. Um, is that really... Has she really got Stroud's best interests at heart? Does she know this constituency? Coming on to the most important, um, probably general election we've had in a long time, 12th of December, what do you think should be in the voters' minds one when choosing who to vote for this year? Think about who you're voting in when you're voting for a smaller party. So if you're splitting the left-wing vote, think about that even though climate change is probably the most important issue that affects us nowadays. Mm. The example of Labour and Green in Shroud, they both believe the same thing. They have very similar climate policies, Mm. but voting for what you may think is right, voting for the Greens, you might simply be voting the opposite and you might simply be voting... You're essentially voting for the Tories. You're voting for the Tories. You might simply be damning us to the climate dystopia. As bad as it is, the way that our country is done politically you have to vote tactically. Mm. And if you're voting in a Labour government or you would rather a Labour government, you should vote Labour. And I wouldn't say that people can vote Green and people can vote Lib Dem, but you've got to weigh up the options and Mm -hmm. how much use is that really going to do for you. I think we're also finding, you know, all of us are young and that this general election will determine how, you know, the UN has just come out and said we've got 10 years to turn climate change around. This general election is half of that. And we've effectively thrown it because too many people have been, uh, you know, selfish enough to put their individual interests at bay. And in not in, in splitting the left wing vote, we've essentially gifted this election to the Conservatives. And honestly, Labour's Green New Deal is not that different from the Green Party. And also, I would argue that I would definitely say that Labour would be willing to work with the Green Party in creating a climate agenda because I wouldn't say because they're not the kind of party who would just go by themselves and try and figure it all out like I would definitely say that they are in the acknowledgement that like we have to work together I think we really can be the front runners in a climate revolution giving jobs to the working class making the working class who are voting Tory because they think they're being marginalized by those at the top but we can make britain great right what's your opinion on a lot of people perhaps wanting to vote for a party but being put off by the leader of that party currently? i think for anybody with any political competence it's got to be policy over person and uh, mm. it's pretty selfish in a way to not vote for a party because of their leader like whether they're not your favorite human being or not they still have their constituency's interests at heart and that's the constituency that you that you agree with and the policies that you agree with Mm -hmm. so it can't really be for for personality you have to look at 
I mean, it's called a party for a reason. There's a big group of people that all work together to mm. with the, generally the same goal. It's not just, for example, Jeremy Corbyn doing everything by himself. You may not like him, but still. Politic politics is people's lives. It's not people's personality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it matters so much more than a personality politics when it's really the country and the world. I think, I think it's tricky because it. currently there are a lot of splits in the political parties and a lot of dissolution. And so the voters currently don't really know I think we're quite Where lucky anyone that stands. both party leaders are so unlikable that <laughs> it's making us study the manifestos more, yeah, more carefully true. and looking at their policies more is encouraging issue voting and less against mm -hmm. character. But mm -hmm. if Jeremy Corbyn is quite a likable guy. Well, like, yeah. If you look at things, you, you watch interviews with Jeremy Corbyn, you think he's confident, he's nice. Down to earth. And the thing that people say about people over policy well like jeremy corbyn stands for everything that labor stands for yeah i think that if you want to vote labor you wouldn't be put off by mm -hmm. jeremy corbyn just like if you're a conservative you wouldn't be put off by boris johnson i think if yeah, you but... stand for the values of the party you want to vote for you'd vote for the party no matter what i don't i think the leader only comes into it when we talk about swing seats or new voters and stuff like that people who aren't experienced with politics or people that don't have a party that they've been going back to for the last 10 20 years i think also you know we've basically got to a stage where so many people feel alienated and by mm. both major parties and don't feel like they're being represented you know i was talking to david drew about this last week and he said that um the labor party is a broad church and that although corbyn isn't uh, you know, the most liberal Labour politician has ever been. You need a leader um, that's going to try and best represent the party's views. And I think a lot of people feel that we've got, we've got two cases of people that are too far from the centre ground mm. and that what this country really needs at the minute is just some sensible cent central ground politics. I think you can see that Jeremy Corbyn actually believes in what he stands for. <laughs> I agree. Whereas... Yeah. Johnson's far more populist and he's created his manifesto to gain popularity in instead of actually producing a manifesto that appeals to what Labour believe in. Conservatives have looked more towards how they can gain more votes from appealing to new crowds, mm. whereas Labour are very much standing for what their voters believe in and that's far more appealing to, to the many. Mm -hmm. I, I'd like to thank Amir, Daniel, Art, extra little addition of Pablo towards the end, Gabe and Jake. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hope you've enjoyed. And this has been The Marling Perspective. Thank you for listening.